In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Please be seated. Years ago, there was a series on the History Channel called Life After People. And that imagined how nature might begin to take this planet back if all of a sudden human beings were no longer in the picture. The main event was a time-lapse video uh, of what would likely happen to, to seemingly permanent things like skyscrapers and highways if human beings were no longer around to inhabit them and drive on them, but most importantly, to maintain them. And I was a little surprised if, if the History Channel is to be believed, I assume it is, I'm sure they have fine scientists working, I was a little surprised in this video to see just how quickly things became reclaimed. Wind and rain would, ex would create and expand gaps in the weatherproofing. I watched this 10 years ago. Now I live in Northeast Ohio and I see, of course, no problem. It, it, would, be, it would take over in no time at all. And the building would begin to degrade from the inside until an inevitable lightning strike would create a fire that would reduce the building to ashes and rubble. As images of destruction and decay flashed across my screen, it began looking like a summer blockbuster where once again the world blows up. As these images of destruction flashed in front of me, I, I half expected to feel anxious. To, to get maybe a little bit upset at the idea uh, that I might not be around forever. And in fact, none of us are going to be around forever. And there might even be a time when, when we human beings are not even around at all. And, and I thought I was going to feel this kind of existential anxiety from that. But surprisingly, I, I actually felt a little bit of relief. I can't entirely explain that, but, but in watching this, I felt a weight kind of come off my shoulders. I, I found my body relaxing just a little bit. Now, just so you know, I don't hold any hopes for a, an early apocalypse. I, I, I'm, I like life. I like cities, and I like skyscrapers, and I really like keeping the weather out of my house. But the realization in watching this that we are not permanent, that the thought of nature moving back in to reclaim the earth actually gave me some peace. It, it comforted me to know that the things that God created would continue after Homo sapiens, in whatever form we are in, are no longer around. Little did I know it, but I had stumbled into a place of theological inquiry that's pretty lively right now, especially as we face a warming planet with rising temperatures that may already 
be baked into our environmental future. Questions of responsibility and stewardship aside, though, we can now ask, what happens to the human relationship with God if humans are no longer around? To put it more succinctly, if a tree falls in a forest and it falls on the only remaining human being who unwisely chose to chop it down, who will be left to pray for us, to scrapbook our memories, and to check our social posts? Welcome, friends, to Theology in the Anthropocene where we must reckon not only with the first ecological era defined by the presence of human beings, but also with the lightning speed changes that we have brought about. And we, now we like to think of ourselves as exceptional, which, which sounds great. Of course, everybody's exceptional. But in this sense, I mean really exceptional and maybe even just a little bit permanent. But you know, it may be that we are not so permanent after all. Now, this is not an environmental sermon. Well, maybe a little bit. This is an Ash Wednesday sermon. Because I want to talk about those ashes. I want to talk about the dust and the ashes and those buildings, those, the buildings, the bridges, the cathedrals. They seem like forever things, and yet they inevitably become dust and ash, every single one of them. I want to talk about the scouring of our inner selves, the obliteration of who we thought we were when unexpected loss and grief comes to find us. I want to talk about the suffering we cause when we forget that we are living creatures just like all the other living creatures who live and die and who depend profoundly on one another. I want to talk about the dust and ashes that are our future because they are also where we came from. In When Time is Short, Finding Our Way in the Anthropocene, Case Western religion scholar Timothy Beale reminded me that not only do we all go to dust, but we come from it as well. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust also means ashes from ashes, dust from dust. It is our origin story too. The first image in creation, he writes, is the fecund earth, pregnant with potential life. The first human is connected to the fertile ground in which it is formed. Human and humility derive from the same word humus. So here, chadam, the human, is literally connected to chadama, the ground, or humus. For this reason, we might be better identified not as people, but as groundlings, or as Phyllis Tribble once called us, earth creatures. So are, are you following me still, earth creatures? Are, are you with me? 
This ground, he writes, is not some passive mound of dirt, but it is alive with agency and subjectivity. And if God made this out of dirt, if God made each and every one of us out of dirt and out of dust and out of ash, then God it will make something new out of the dust that we become. And if we can connect with this, with our earth creatureliness, which Beale calls a spiritual worldview characterized by interdependence and permanence, we might just realize that we never stop being dust and that even death does not fully change us. We are dirt. Dirt that loves. Dirt that hopes. Dirt that loses and dirt that grieves. Dirt is the muddy essence of potential and life. It is something to be preserved and protected. It is something mysterious and holy. Lent is a season of dust and ash, but also of dirt and also of grief. Our souls are like those seemingly permanent cityscapes. And we grieve when they come crashing down. And we so often buffer ourselves from grief because pain is so hard to bear. I sometimes think that our whole culture is built on the false premise that grief can be avoided entirely, postponed, rolled over there, dropped off onto somebody else, and just avoided, enti avoided entirely with comfort or chemistry or whatever compartmentalization fits us best. But that always comes to an end when real life confronts us, and when it does, when grief happens, it is a real and human response to loss, to our alienation from the rhythms of the natural world that God so lovingly created, and to the reality of death. So why did I feel good all of a sudden? Watching the History Channel, <laughs> watching a cityscape fall down to the ground as the vines and the lightning strikes came in, why did I feel a sense of relief to see nature come roaring back after my own great-grandchildren had disappeared from the world? Perhaps I found comfort in the story, in the realization that life continues without me and even continues after great loss. It makes me wonder a few years hence, if grief isn't just a function of loss, isn't just sort of what happens when something bad happens, but is actually the holiness of grace and nature moving back in. Whether through fire or wind or, or squirrels making nests in the rafters. Until the edifice that stood before is returned to the dust that God created in the first place. The dust from which God created as well. Which still hurts. It hurts like hell. 
But what's really happening is just so sacred. Ashes from ashes. Dust from dust. Humus. Dirt from humus. And soil the whole way through. A bit over a year ago, I walked through the woods of western North Carolina with my sister's husband and her best friend. We were there to scatter ashes. We were there to scatter the dust that remained of my sister's body among the hilltops and paths and river overlooks that is a kind of spiritual home to both of us, a place of pilgrimage where we grew up going and where we still return. And along the way, we each took inelegant handfuls of Catherine's ashes and we cast them to the wind, sharing her with the trees and returning her to the soil that she loved so much. And as we walked along, her friend, her best friend who knew her so very well, she noticed something. She noticed that as we moved forward and as we shared and spread the ashes, the container that held her grew lighter and lighter and lighter. And our grief was still there, but it too was getting just a little bit easier to carry. As we imagined her casting her own burdens to the wind, as we imagined her return to the soil, that as a civil engineer, she knew and learned how to move and fashion so well. She'd be very proud of a sermon about dirt, that I'd be sure of. Wind, water, hornets, and dirt, one with it all. Now, my sister would have wanted me to interrupt this flow with a joke. So here goes. I had a church treasurer in my last gig. And uh, at the beginning of his report at every annual meeting, he would say this. Actually, he wanted to print t-shirts that said this. He would say, friends, our church has an endowment, but you don't have to die to give to it. You can laugh. It's okay. It's a treasurer joke. They're only a little bit funny. Actually, he was pretty funny, which is true. But you know what? In the same way, we don't have to die to remember that we may well be heading towards dust. But that, that dirt, that sacred soil is also the same thing that we came from as well. Our day will come. But even today, we can let go of our burdens. Even today, we can get lighter and lighter and lighter. Even today, we can let, we can take off our shoes and let the mud squish between our toes and in so doing, actually reclaim us. We are all soil. And you know what? That makes us wonderfully unexceptional. We are made of the same holy clay with which God crafted the earth and the stars and the wind and the waters. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust, ashes from ashes, 
dust and soil from dust. But along the way, hope and grief and humility that connects us not to our lowliness, but to the majesty and mystery of the soil that made us.